These are certainly strange times that we live in. Never did I ever think that we wouldn't be able to gather as a church for either our Good Friday service nor our Easter Resurrection Sunday celebration service. And it seems like what is on everyone's minds lately is the current coronavirus pandemic. Basic necessities are scarce, supermarkets are ordered to only allow 50% capacity, and public schools are closed through the rest of the academic year. Several in our church family are battling against COVID-19 infections. And oddly, but more so providentially, smack dab in the middle of all of this are the observances of Good Friday and Easter Resurrection Sunday. During this time of lockdown and stay-at-home orders, I want to encourage everyone to read through the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament of the Bible. Purposely plan on taking some time in the day over the next few weeks of projected continuation of these lockdown orders to read portions of this with your families. God has a purpose for every season, and part of the purpose for this current season is for us to take a break from the chaos of everyday life and give some time to our spiritual growth and families. In the Gospel of Matthew, as you read through from the beginning, you notice a movement of events. You start out with the birth of Jesus, his baptism, and the beginning of his ministry. You follow his ministry from the calling of his first disciples, the famous Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, and his miraculous healings of many different people with many different ailments and demonic oppressions. He even calms a tumultuous storm at sea by simply rebuking it with his words. This movement builds and builds until you get to Matthew 12, 14, and we read, Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. From that point forward, from one degree or, or to another, Jesus' earthly antagonists actively set into motion what would ultimately be fulfilled on the day we observe as Good Friday. On that day, they would pat themselves on the back and congratulate themselves for their successful plan. Right after Matthew records that the Pharisees start brainstorming how they might best kill Jesus, we read that Jesus became aware of the Pharisees' plan at that point, and knowing that it wasn't time for that to happen yet, withdrew into a a less populated area. Someone found out where he went, though, and told a bunch of other people, and we read in Matthew 12, 15 that they all went to go find him. Instead of sending them away, however, Jesus healed every single one that came to him for relief. We catch another glimpse of Jesus' heart there. Jesus had a lot of things on his mind at that point. The leading group of religious and civic leaders were actively out to kill him, and I'm sure he was exhausted and worn out. But yet, Jesus' compassion was the most powerful force at that moment. Still, knowing he still had much more to do before being crucified, he warned everyone not to tell people that he was the Messiah. It wasn't time yet. Once it was publicly out that he was the Messiah, Jesus knew nothing would stop him from being arrested, dragged before the authorities, and nailed to a cross. What follows in Matthew 12 is not only a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy given by Isaiah, but ultimately a declaration of who Jesus is, solidified by his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. In Matthew 12, 18-21, we read, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of all the world. It's prophesied that Jesus would be empowered by the Holy Spirit and his mission would be to proclaim justice to the nations. 
He would not only proclaim it, but he would publicly display it through his compassion that we just read about. Jesus didn't come the first time to preach justice, just to preach justice, but he actively showed it in very real ways, taking advantage of every opportunity to display the compassion, mercy, and love of God. Now, you wouldn't expect a a victorious military and royal leader to exact that much compassion towards his subjects. You certainly wouldn't expect a victorious military and royal leader to even die for his people. In fact, no earthly victorious military and royal leader has ever cared that much about his people in all of earthly history. Sure, there have been some pretty good kings in world history, David included, but they've all been pretty selfish too. Only one victorious and royal leader has ever been perfectly selfless, so focused on promoting justice in this broken and sinful world that he would actively have so much compassion on his people that he would care enough to heal as many as possible of their physical ailments and ultimately to die for them. In fact, verse 20 gives us the ultimate description of the degree of Jesus' compassion. He will not crush the weakest reed, or put out a flickering candle. That's how much Jesus loves us. When you are at your weakest point, Jesus will pour out his love for you even more. When your light is flickering so dimly that it's right about to go out, that's when Jesus will reach out to you even more. You are never too far away from God. You will never walk too uh, too far away from him to reach you. You will never be in too dark of a depression, nor too hopeless in your sickness or physical pain, nor materially destitute or socially outcast, nor disowned by your family, nor lonely in social isolation, nor too deep of a fear of what's going on in this world for Jesus to not reach out to you even more. You may see it or you may not, but it's there. Jesus' hand is always there. Jesus' love and compassion are always there. He will not let your flickering light go out. If you are a reed that's so bent over in your emotions and spirit that you're just hanging on by a thread, Jesus will not let you get broken. If you've been walking far from God, take hold of his hand that's always been there. If you've been tossed to and fro by your fear, anxiety, or depression, open your ears for the voice that's commanding that storm to calm down. And if you are being weighed down by the stress of potential lack of provision, look for the hands that are blessing and breaking the few bread and fish and feeding well over 5,000 people. The name of this one at the end of Matthew's reference to Isaiah's prophecy is the hope of all the world. That's everything. Jesus' name means healing. Jesus' name means victory. Jesus' name means blessing. Jesus' name means strength. Jesus' name means provision. Jesus' name means protection. Jesus' name means forgiveness. Jesus' name means hope. Jesus' name means peace. Jesus' name means joy. And Jesus' name means power. How is all of this and more wrapped up in just one name? Because that humble and compassionate king wasn't done with just preaching justice and the power of the kingdom of God, and he wasn't even done with healing people tormented by demons, physical disabilities, and crushing hopelessness. He wasn't done until he declared the words, It is finished, while hanging on a rough wooden cross built by sinful human hands to torture someone until they finally died. 
The greatest act of shame became, became the greatest act of love. The greatest instrument of excruciating death perfected by the Romans became the greatest instrument of hope. And the greatest moment in earthly and human and spiritual history, when the, enemies, when the enemy of our souls truly believed he had won, became the moment of blinding spiritual light. The veil separating the Holy of Holies and the temple where the presence of God was, was torn in two. The gates to access to Almighty God were kicked open, and the curse of sin and death was crushed. If Jesus had merely died on a cross like the common thieves on either side of him, it would have meant nothing. It would have meant that he was a mere man, a liar and a deceiver who simply met a fitting demise. Something else had to happen, and it did. Three days later, the unbelievable happened. Everything Jesus said about himself, that he was God, that he was, the one, that he was one with the Father, and that he would rise from the dead to prove all that came true. Some, woman, some women who were his disciples went to the tomb that they saw a member of the Jerusalem ruling council named Joseph of Arimathea bury their Messiah in. But something was very strange about what they found. This week I read from another Christian author who likened the strange events of this current season we're in to the strange event of the resurrection. Things the world never thought possible before were happening right before their very eyes. Reality was drastically different from everything else they ever knew. Sure, other people had been raised from the dead by God. Jesus had already done it several times. But never before had someone told everyone that he was going to die, but that he would come back to life in a specific time frame after that, and then it all happened exactly as he told everyone. When the women went to the tomb to... 2,000 years ago, they expected what they simply assumed as how the world worked. When they got there, though, their world was completely turned upside down. The stone was rolled away, Jesus' body was gone, and an angel was just hanging out and telling them that Jesus had been raised from the dead. What? Suddenly, there was hope. Suddenly, an unstoppable force was unleashed. Suddenly, what turned the disciples' world upside down would turn the entire world upside down. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead was what gave life to his crucifixion. Suddenly, the effects of our sin were put to death on the cross, never to have power over us again. Suddenly, forgiveness of our sin was realized. Suddenly, the hope of an eternity spent with Jesus was accomplished. Suddenly, we could have the hope, joy, and peace of God in the here and now through a growing relationship with God. And none of this would have been imagined, much less become a reality if it weren't for the overwhelming love and compassion of the Messianic King. His love and compassion was ultimately displayed when he hung on the cross, and his kingship power was ultimately displayed when he walked out of that tomb. The full power of the kingdom of Satan and his forces of darkness was shattered when the king of the universe took his first breath while still wrapped in burial cloths on that first Easter morning. The story still doesn't end there, though. It continues even today. When each of us accepts that Jesus took our place on the cross for our sin and paid the payment of death for that sin that we as sinful human beings had no hope to pay, and that he proved his godhood and kingship over the rest of our lives with his resurrection from the dead, we become a part of that story. At that point, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes and makes a home within us and guides our decisions, gives us God's presence in the midst of loneliness and despair, and gives us the power and strength of Almighty God to live our earthly lives. 
And we live out our part in this story by living the the rest of our lives pleasing to God and sharing the hope of what Jesus' death and resurrection offers to others. Finally, as Isaiah prophesied that Matthew records, this same one will cause perfect justice to be victorious over the whole earth. The king will return someday. He ultimately will establish peace. That will be fulfilled. The armies of darkness will be destroyed and his kingdom of perfect peace will be fully established. And at the end of everything, we get an eternity spent reveling in God's love, presence, and reward. But we all must want to become a part of that story. We must accept Jesus and all that he's done for us and all that he said about himself for ourselves. And then when we surrender that to God and ask for his forgiveness of our sins because Jesus paid for them, it will never matter what happens in this world. Whatever happens in this world, no matter how crazy it gets, no matter how things don't make any sense, and no matter how much it seems like the world is ending, we will still have hope. This hope is not of this world because it's the transcendent and eternal hope of God. So this Good Friday and coming Easter Resurrection Sunday, don't allow confusion, fear, or despair from what's going on around the world and right here in our community rule your life. Put your focus completely on Jesus. Accept his forgiveness. Take hold of his hand of compassion. Relish his love. Rest in his promises of healing, hope, and provision. And look ahead. Look ahead and remember that the king is coming. The king will return for us and rescue us from this dark, broken, and hopeless world. But none of it would have been possible without the love, compassion, mission, and obedience of our King to go to the cross, and none of it would have been possible without Him coming back to life. He died to put hopelessness, fear, depression, and spiritual oppression to death, and He lives to give us the hope and peace of spiritually resurrected life in the here and now and fully resurrected life for eternity. I hope you and your family have a blessed time together observing our Lord's sacrifice this Good Friday and celebrating our Lord's resurrection this Easter Resurrection Sunday. Again, Matthew says of the resurrected king, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world.